Welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. I'm Sean Hennessy, the senior pastor at Life Church in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I am joined by my co-host, the lead pastor at Life Church in Green Bay, Wisconsin, the right reverend, Sonny Rose Hennessy. Hi. <laughs> it's like I'm introducing you at a basketball game. I know. Ladies and gentlemen. Here she is, and I'm going to go very slow and make it dramatic. It is very dramatic. <laughs> and also, we uh, have a separate nonprofit through the Exchange Collaborative, which is our ministry to pastors, leaders, their families, those wounded. We like a large net because we feel like mental health is really the key to what we help people with uh, at our retreat center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So that is another project, a labor of love. And we decided we would take a blog from a recent pastor who resigned from his church, but also resigned from ministry. And we would just take the entire blog and unpack it. Yeah. It's interesting. I read this article. I don't know where I came across it, but I, I read it last week sometime and it was it was beyond shocking to me. It was interesting. It was a, it was a heavy read. It was a heavy enough read that I that I didn't forward it to people because I, I was trying to process it internally. And then suddenly, this article started popping up everywhere, which is interesting. And my thought that I had was, I wonder what would have happened. What would have been the response had this guy reached out for help rather than published an article that he had given up. Yeah. And I think that maybe the reason you didn't send it out immediately is because it's not a light read and it's not easy and it's not encouraging. Not at all. It's, it's called departure. Why I left the church. Mm -hmm. And this isn't from people who are members and deconstructing and leaving Jesus. No, this is from a pastor. Why I left the church. And he actually goes line by line. Uh, and it's, it's well-written. He talks about one of the headings in the beginning is the great pastor resignation. And I'm just going to rattle off these, uh, statistics. And then I'd like you to start in, cause we're going to break it down this blog because we feel like you don't have to leave the church, especially right. a pastor. Okay. So 42% of pastors in 2022 considered quitting just in March. Uh, the reasons, for this are a myriad top five reasons. And he said he relates to all of these the most too. immense stress of the job. 56%. I have, I feel lonely and isolated. 43% current political divisions. 38%. I am unhappy with the effects this role has had on my family. 29%. I am not optimistic about the future of my church. 29%. Just talk about that a minute before we move on. Do you, do you not? Uh, I mean, I know these aren't shocking to me. So for it to make you pause and just have to sit in this article before you shared it with anybody, did it really surprise you? Or is this really what we're hearing from people that reach out or people who like, I know a guy and a lady who needs your help? I think some of it, I paused because I was looking at those while you were reading them and, and uh, trying to process them in my mind. I've probably read this article three times. So this is the fourth time that I've looked at it and a a few nuances have jumped out each time that I've read it individually. I think in these five, none of these surprise me. Mm -mm. I would be interested to hear his take on number three, the current political divisions, if he meant political divisions nationally, or if he was talking about political divisions within his church, because I think there's two different 
dynamics there. Well, because some churches would have, maybe would slant one direction politically than another, but some churches, they look like the state of our nation, depending on how many types of people you have. So, I mean, he really, he could have been meaning both. It's a good read because he really does dive into these things like in depth and it, it really makes them come alive more than the, just the statistics. Um, the number four, the, the effect that it's having on his family. I'm not surprised by that, Mm-mm. especially if you know a PK, mm-hmm. a pastor's kid and the struggles that that is for them or the struggles that this puts on people's marriages. You and I are unique in the fact that we're both independently called to ministry and then also corporately called to ministry. So we both are called to do ministry independently of one another, but also called to do it together. So ministry is something over the years that has brought us together, hasn't divided us. Mm -hmm. But I would say that there have been times where it has alienated our kids, not only because of the time constraints that ministry does put on, although we've been very intentional in taking time away to be at their individual things. I do think the level of expectation that it puts on your kids Mm. is huge. Well, and for pastors who hear that and they're like, yeah, we really have just like thrown ourselves into ministry too much. I, I have to thank God and say and encourage those of you who your kids are like questioning, do they really believe in God or do they just really do it because you do and they never want to be in ministry because they've seen you in ministry. What I can tell you is we've had those conversations. Our kids have gone through those cycles and both our kids are, they've been called to ministry. Both both of them would do ministry tomorrow at a church if we'd let them, but we're like, no, you need to go to college. So the turnabout of just being faithful in it. Um, There's hope, but yeah, it's a strain. It's a strain for different stages of their life. When I read some of this article though, what's interesting to me is that he sounds like a really good pastor. Yeah. And let me read something to you. It says, as an, uh, for example, for most of my tenure, we had around a thousand members of those thousand, only about 50% would attend on a regular basis out of those 500. This is the line that really got me. Mm. I really got to know about 300 people beyond name recognition. That's admirable Mm -hmm. to go, you know, details of the lives of 300 people. And he said, what this means is I know their stories, their history, and the intimate details of their lives. And I thought, here's a guy who has poured himself into this. He talks about how the dynamic of that is that he has a thousand bosses. Mm. I thought that was an interesting take on it, that you have to please a thousand different people with what it is that you do, with what it is that you say, with what it is that you wear, with what it is that you drive. There's always, uh, there's like a running kind of diagnosis on everything that it is that you do. I think the thing that, uh, that was really interesting is when he talked about how he came to his last service and Mind you, he has just said that he had uh, a thousand people in his congregation and that about 500 of them attend on a week. And he says in his final service, there was about 360 people in attendance, Mm. knowing that that was going to be the last time that he was going to be there. And I wondered, he said it like he was pleased with that. But I wondered if he goes, man, there's a thousand people that I've poured my life into that have done everything I can to invest in them. And, 
And in the last opportunity that these people here to have, the last opportunity that these people have to hear something that I have to say, 36% of those people mm-hmm. showed up. Well, and like you said, he knows if a thousand claim him as their home church and claim him as their pastor, a thousand bosses, but the ones that show up in love and respect are 360. But also this part, same area of the blog where he talks about those 300, he knows more than their name. He knows their story, their history, their, they've confided in him, like the traumas, you know, I think of our youth pastors and some of the things they hear these teenagers are going through and they, they're like, I have to send this girl home after service tonight. And I am heavy with that. Uh, the stories you hear of women who are like, I'm with a man that is abusing me. And you're like, I want to help you, but they have to want it. You take it home. And he said this, he said, what you don't realize is that over time, the accumulation of all that knowledge starts to weigh you down. Your mind is a repository for all sorts of secrets. And if you're human, you feel sympathy and empathy for their suffering. Therefore, beyond just keeping track of all the information, you're aware of the deep hardships and challenges that your congregants cope with day to day. Moreover, they look to you for hope and guidance. What he didn't say is that secondary trauma is trauma. Yep. And there's little T trauma. You know, we talk about that in Journey to Wholeness. Not all trauma is like, I lost a child in a car accident. That's major trauma. It's the little T trauma. If I know I'm looking at this woman and she's dying of cancer and I say, I'll pray for you. I mean, how many times as pastors do we have somebody walk up and say, will you pray for my daughter? They just found a brain tumor. And you're like, what's her name? And you take her hand right. and you pray for the girl's name. And there, that is a, that is a secondary trauma to know people are dying Mm -hmm. of brain cancer. And I feel trite and guilty right now because the most I mustered up and it felt very honorable to say, now what's her name? So you pray for her by name. Yeah. Like that's it. And then you take it home and then you're like, all right, kids, let's have lunch. And I just heard of 18 different things. So the reality is that's, that's not a problem that like is wrong with people or wrong with being a pastor. It's a reality. Well, the challenge of secondary trauma is that you don't really have the resources to be able to fix that. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we have the resources to fix initial trauma, but when it's our own trauma, we can take steps Mm -hmm. and we can go through a process and we can get counseling and you, you can directly combat that kind of trauma. But when it's secondary trauma, like you said, if all you do is, oh, I'm going to pray about it. Or you, even if you try to find them resources to deal with that. Then they don't accept it. But you may even go an entire week yeah. where you don't hear anything mm-hmm. about what's going on. Yet you think about it, right? If you're, a, if you're a pastor who really does take seriously this idea of when somebody asks you to pray for them, you do pray for them. Like I, I, just, had a, I just had an interaction with a lady this weekend and we, we were... Uh, we were walking, we were walking from, from one place to the next in an engagement that we had had. And I said, Hey, I've been thinking about blank. And I said her daughter's name. She told me her daughter's name like 18 months ago and asked me if I would, if I would keep her in mind. She didn't ask me, will you pray about, because she's not like, that's not her language, right? She's not, she's not necessarily a believer. 
and, and she kind of shared with me something that they were really thinking about working towards with her daughter. This is like 18 months ago. And, and I took note of that and I had been praying about that particular thing for her daughter by name for like more than a year. And I saw her this weekend and I said, Hey, I've been, I was thinking about so-and-so this week and how's that going? She literally looked at me. She goes, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you even remembered that. She goes, Oh yeah, that we, Mm. we've been done with that. Like, Mm. like I've been praying for something that's done. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and I've been caring for 18 Mm -hmm. months. I've been praying for this woman's daughter by name thinking, and it wasn't a trauma to be clear, but it was just something that they were believing for. They didn't know that that was the language, but, but I told her, I said, Oh my gosh, I've been praying for every day for like, for like 18 months. How would I not remember her name? And so it reminds me of secondhand offense. Yeah. People reconcile miracles happen like what you're talking about and you're still carrying it. Right. More than firsthand people. Yeah. So with this guy where he talks about, you know, he's got a thousand people and 300 of them, he's praying. Like if he's doing that, what I'm, Mm -hmm. what I just gave an example of with one person, if he's been doing that for the for 300 people, mm-hmm. right. And probably not every day, but he's probably still thinking on a regular basis about particular things that they've got going on. And that's just like one small thing yeah, that and he I, lists of things that are a challenge when you're in ministry. Well, and I think that there is a shame in I'm burnt out or I'm burning out for a pastor to say that. But if we can acknowledge that that could be part of our burnout, just the love and just the concern for people that we don't even consciously know we're carrying it home. We're carrying it forward. I mean, we can, we can look at it easily for a social worker and be like, man, how do you like, how do you manage knowing all these stories? And then you just keep being a social worker. And you, I mean, how many times have you met someone and they got out of social work because it was just too heavy or they've become very, very hardened to everything because They just see too much. And we as pastors, we don't realize how much we hear and see. And so this lends to burnout. So there is no shame in burnout where this pastor had to wait to resign Yeah, because he couldn't really share. Now he's sharing it all. And like you said to me, just think if this pastor would have written this to someone who could help yeah. a year ago versus I'm done. And, and there's no shame on him even no. now. What's interesting, he's bringing though, up good points. When you think about different areas of specialty. Good counselors have counselors. Yeah. Uh, I just went to see a chiropractor and I asked her how often she gets adjusted. She said, I get adjusted at least once a week. So good doctors have doctors, good chiropractors have chiropractors, but I wonder how many pastors have pastors, Mm -hmm. right? Which is one of the things that's become a challenge in the overwhelming number of people who have started independent churches, right? And we are Life Church here in Green Bay. We are a non-denominational church that in some regard is independent, but we do have a covering of six pastors who who do provide a covering for us. But if I didn't have those guys in my life, like who do I go to? Like every pastor needs a pastor. And so I don't know if this guy didn't feel like he had somebody who he could go to. But if you're a pastor and you're listening to this, you need to have somebody who you can go to. It's too much to carry. It's too much of a burden. And I think that's a lot of 
what the article was about. And it was a lot about unmet expectations and, and mm-hmm. expectations that people put upon him and all the different titles that he had upon himself. He said, CEO, professional speaker, fundraiser, counselor, human resources, director, master of ceremonies, pillar of virtue. Mm. That, that's, that's, a that's a lot good. for a dude to carry or for a lady to have to carry on their life. And I think the thing that struck me the most in the article, and this is when I even brought the article to you was because of this. When the guy said people at the end of the day, don't want to be pushed out of their comfort zone. Mm. They actually want you to reaffirm what it is that they believe. Wow. They want you to be a reaffirmer, not a pastor and a preacher of the word. Yeah. Yeah. When you said that chiropractor needs chiropractor and doctor needs doctor, I, my brain went to a dentist needs a dentist. Can you imagine if a dentist looking in the mouths of people, seeing the rot and the disgust and the things that when you let it go, it gets to that level and leads to pulling a tooth, a root canal. Would we ever, can you imagine going to a dentist who has dirty teeth with cavities? They have been on the inside and know what happens when you don't take care of your teeth when you delay. A dentist is a great example of, oh, they know I'm going to take care of this now. We're talking about emotional and spiritual carriers of people, holding people up that why don't we automatically think if I take this on for people as their pastor, I need somebody to take this on for me. So I love how you said that. The other thing that I wanted to tie in is he said, so you know, these people, these ones that come to him with all of the needs, with all of their damage and hurt, he said, uh, when you see that there is a group of people whose sole goal is to dismantle your career, that is entirely different beast than that no one expects, particularly from people who carry the label Christian. So he's talking about the same 300 ultimately. He's talking about, I'm going to carry this. It's overwhelming. I'm feeling burnt out. And then when they decide to, their sole goal could be to dismantle your career. And like you said, with all of the hats, obviously a pastor is going to feel like a failure in HR, is going to feel like a failure as a CEO. But how can you really afford at a church to have all of those positions filled? And so again, the burnout, and obviously this is not we don't ever break for commercial, but you just said, if you don't have someone in your life, find somebody. We can say that's why we established the exchange collaborative because we want to be that. There are so many pastors that they're like, I mean, I actually need to talk to somebody in, in privacy. I need no one to know what I need to share. We're here for that. Also, there's people that don't have a covering. They don't have a network. And that's why we have the exchange collaborative, but, and people that work within it. And then we also have the retreat center because like, I think our heart broke because we looked at this article and thought, if only we could have met this pastor, we're not the say all end all, but we, we have some tools that we would like to help with. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of what the heart behind the collaborative was is that there's just a a hierarchy in some places that don't allow for confession. Like if you are the senior pastor of a church, who do you go to? Maybe you don't have a superintendent. Or if you go to a superintendent or a bishop, if you would, you feel like maybe they 
may remove you from leadership. And if you're a staff person, maybe you feel like if you go to your senior pastor, then your senior pastor will remove you from your position. I think when you read this blog, it is compounding. He has too many reasons why he left, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. I think it's very detailed and I think it's helpful. Mm -hmm. But it's like, bro, this is way too many. Like you have way too many reasons to have done this. Like you, you have built a case yeah. that why wasn't there somebody in his life to help him with X, Y, or Z? Like why didn't he have somebody in his life who he could say to them, hey, I'm feeling this before it became this. I don't think all of these things came upon him at one time is my point. Mm-hmm. And why didn't he have somebody in his life who was maybe an older person who he could say, I'm, I'm feeling burdened by what this does to my family. Mm-hmm. And do you have any advice for that? Mm-hmm. Or I'm feeling burdened because I don't actually know what to do to help the finances of the church. I mean, there's so many different layers to what it is that we do that we so often feel ill-equipped for, especially if you're not a person who went through a lot of schooling to do this. Some people are pastoring because they're just really gifted and they're really talented. Now there's some denominations where, you know, you have to go through and you have to have a master's of divinity before you do this. And I think that that's helpful in some regard, but there's also like in the, like I, I've looked at multiple MDiv programs and very few of them, if any of them, put any focus on the business of the church. That's one of the areas where people feel the least equipped. Mm-hmm. Like they go in and they, they, they chair a board that deals with finances and they don't know how to read a P&L. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to read a balance sheet. And so when they're coming in, they're dependent upon somebody else, which then puts that person in a position of power and authority over them. And if you get a bad finance person on your board, that person will lord authority and power over you and they will treat you like you're trying to do something wrong with the finances, even though you know that you're not. So it creates this this shroud of doubt within you or if you can't go to everybody's graduation or you can't go to everybody's quinceanera or you can't go to everybody's cookout because your kids have a game or your kids have their own dance recital, then suddenly those 300 bosses or those thousand bosses that he talked about, they suddenly start to lord that over you and hold that against you. And now suddenly you're living under this weight and this burden where you go, no, hold on a minute. Let's pause for commercial break and let's look at the the level of expectations that are put upon us. Well, in so many times, those expectations, they are, we think there's even higher expectations upon us than there even are. And we know there's high expectations, but we often don't have people come and say, I remember when you used to come to the baby showers right? until you got too big. And what you find, you usually find that out, not from the person directly. You find out people are talking about, oh yeah, they don't come and do weddings anymore. And, and then you, we're human. We feel bad about that, but we're like, well, my kids are in sports. My kids are in age. I probably won't be able to do anything outside of my kid's schedule during the week, period, as a parent, let alone a pastor. And so then, but it's like the, and when you're in high school and you, hear somebody say everybody's saying, and pretty soon in your head, you've built the entire third floor of the high school is having a pep rally (laughs) talking about 
you yeah. when everybody could be three people that got together and chatted. And so the burnout is real. And, you know, it, hopefully every podcast we have, we get people to talk to other people, right? We've had podcasts where we're like powerful men go to yeah. someone who, you know, they'll actually listen to you pastor, leader, go to someone, anyone, just be honest with them. Um, you know, person listening, reach out to us. Like we're always trying to point you to open up. I mean, this is about vulnerability of where you are. And if people get nothing more from the podcast or they don't ever come to the reserve in North Carolina, which we literally invite you to, if you listen to this podcast, you are welcome to come. We have many options to come and you can even book your own thing to come. If you never take advantage of that and all this podcast does is pushes you to open up to someone, we're winning. Yeah. Well, when you say burnout, what I think is so interesting is years ago, I'm sure that you remember this, but I remember Pastor Tommy Barnett saying that burnout is not fatigue. It is dream deprivation. And when you listen to that thing, and that's the thing that really jumped out to me was this idea of he had an idea of what this was going to be. He really thought that people wanted him to push them toward change. And I've experienced that here, if I'm being totally honest. One of the things that I have experienced in Green Bay is that you can push people too far. Yeah. I, I have been a proponent of dreaming bigger, of more chasing more. And that has, there have been people who I have then heard in retrospect that the reason that they left be, is because I pushed them too hard mm-hmm. because I constantly like, why am I not content? Why, why can, why isn't he just let us live a life of comfort? And I go, because I don't think God wants us to do that. I think that there's lost people who need Jesus. And if we don't tell them, no one will. I think that God is a God who wants to bless us. I think that God is a God who wants us to live our lives in a constant motion forward. Pursuing. Mm-hmm. Right? And and when you are leading people who at the end of the day don't want that, and that's the biggest takeaway from the article for me, is this idea that at the end of the day, he was like, they just didn't want to be pushed. And so, like, I don't know that he needed to just leave the ministry altogether. Right. Maybe he just needed to relocate to somewhere that had people who wanted to be pushed. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of us aren't honest up front about what we want or what we're willing to do and not willing to do. And one of the things that we've done here, and again, this has been an open door for some people, is that I became very clear on what my priorities are. And I'm going to live inside of those priorities and I'm not going to stray from them. And if you like that, hallelujah. If you don't like that, okay. There are more people in the world who need Jesus than people need to have their hand held. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to live my life as a pastor, as somebody who's just a handholder. I don't want to be a placekeeper. I want to be somebody, and this is what this guy's talking about. He's like, "I, I I want to see people achieve the dreams that I know that God has for their life. And so in the words of Pastor Barnett, it's dream deprivation. Mm-hmm. And when you get to a place where you're leading people and they openly communicate with you, I don't want what it is that you're offering. Yeah. No wonder that this guy. Yeah. He, he actually didn't leave ministry altogether for the reasons you'd think he left it for. Mm-hmm. Like you said, a relocation to a place where there's at least more that are 
are wanting more. I'm going to end the podcast with this because that stood up out to you most for sure. And I totally agree, but he referenced in it. And this is what stood out to me. He said there was an interview with Dan White Jr., who is a pastor, and he was in a podcast, and he just summarized this. Dan describes going on a long overdue vacation. After sleeping 14 hours the first night, he came downstairs and poured himself a bowl of cereal. His hands were shaking so badly, he could barely hold the spoon. When the shaking didn't subside, he had a doctor perform a battery of tests. As the doctor interpreted the results, he explained that they found no diseases, but Dan's brain looked very similar to someone who had come back from a war zone and is experiencing PTSD. A psychologist then asked Dan a series of questions about the losses he had experienced in the church. He ended up counting 180 different lost relationships due to death or people leaving the church. These are all losses where he had never was never given a chance to mourn, but had to continue to be the leader in his community, regardless of how emotionally painful these severed relationships might have been. The result is that Dan internalized all this unprocessed trauma, which was contributing to his neurological condition. When I heard the podcast, I was on a sabbatical in England. I was in the middle of trying to discern if I wanted to stay or go. And so when he heard this, this actually, I think, uh, pushed this pastor over the edge from what he said. Mm. Like he listened to that and heard, yeah, that's true. I need to get out. And so what we're saying to you, the podcast listener, uh, on any level, but obviously specifically to pastors, don't hear that article and think, yeah, this is, this is a sign and I can relate. So yeah. I need to get out. If you relate to that and that, and something resonates in you, uh, I'm going to give one more stat that maybe will resonate. I may have said this on an earlier podcast, but the average person loses seven people in their lifetime that they walk out on them. They literally don't know why that person left them seven in a lifetime. The average pastor's family loses seven a year. You compound that trauma and you say, you don't have time to mourn. You got Sunday to be ready for. Yeah. Some people are going to resonate with this and you need to not wait until your hand's shaking. You need a three month sabbatical and you, or you're about to resign. Like we would love if the exchange collaborative, the retreat center, the journey to wholeness program was the preventative yeah. thing. But you know how they say you, when you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Yeah. I, I think about that when I can say I have burnout. Great. I'm glad that you're honest and vulnerable and you think that you're not in a good place. You're burnout, but you know what? You're already dehydrated. Yeah. If we could catch it even sooner than then. And so the sooner you can catch it and just talk to somebody, talk to us, get some refreshing the better off you'll be. And if you're called to ministry, like you, that calling doesn't leave you. Yeah. It is without repentance. And yeah. I was just thinking, it's interesting that you said that because I wrote that in my little notebook here, that, that, that was what I was, I was going to bring that up next about the seven mm. people per year. And it, it hurts. It really does. And it lingers. Yeah. You grieve that and you mourn that. And so I love that you had said the thing about a three month sabbatical. And a lot of guys think they can't take that because, well, what am I going to do? I got to preach on Sunday. Listen, we got plenty of people here at Life Church that if you want to take a three month sabbatical, we can figure out a way to put people in your pulpit. I don't even know where you are, but we got plenty of people. And we don't have a high price yeah, tag. <laughs> who can just come and speak and you can do a sabbatical because I don't, I don't, I don't want a bunch more articles like this. I mean, time is short. I believe that. Mm -hmm. 
I believe that the end is near and that there is a push. The enemy is trying to push people out. And so if you do need a break, we just reach out to us. You can find us on social or you can, you can email us. Mine's Sean at lifechurchgreenbay.com. S H A W N. I spell it the right way. Or it's sunny at lifechurchgreenbay.com. It's S O N N Y at lifechurchgreenbay.com. And we would love the opportunity, if nothing else, just to listen to you and to do whatever we can to lend our, to be an Aaron and her to you. And, and we can listen to trauma because yeah. we have trauma informed therapists and pastors focused on mental health that we unload often. Yep. Yeah. So we love you and we believe in you and hope that you'll reach out because we do believe that no matter what you're going through, there is a rise after the fall. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, and so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Whew. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction, but what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money, 
and they get it for something God's having them do. God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, They gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And someone had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're going to give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're going to give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're going to give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.